Wait a moment. Aren't you a therapist yourself? Why do you need therapy? Why are you using your son's coloring book? What all do you do in the name of therapy? All bosses are horrible. There is no such thing as an ideal work environment. The mental health industry in India has become one that is filled with an overwhelming amount of terms today. So much so that people often don't reach out for help because they just don't know who to reach out to. Not just that. I also realized that mental health of the mental health practitioner is not something that people were really talking about. Or so I thought until I came across the profile of Jasdeep Margo Jethani. She's a neuropsychologist, a performance coach, and someone who has worked extensively with corporates to help them really understand how to build happier workspaces for their employees. Interestingly, she herself is on a bit of a break of sorts and is slowing down to reset the direction of her career. Please join me for this very refreshing and insightful conversation on the lesser known aspects of the mental health industry in India with Jasdeep Mago Jethani. Hi Jasdeep, welcome to Slow Down with Asta. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited for this podcast. You define yourself as a neuropsychologist and a life coach. and uh, i used to find your content really interesting both on linkedin and on instagram and there's so many things i want to just pick your brains about but i will start by requesting you to talk about your journey and why uh, you decided to get into this space of being a mental health practitioner so why i decided to get into this oh my god so that's a really uh, <laughs> juvenile uh, i would say response that i had so when i was 18 years old my French teacher. Uh, I was studying French in my junior college, and my French teacher, uh, who I used to go to tuitions for, had. Um, she was a very perceptive human being, and I was really close to her. I had a very good bond with her. And she once in class, we were a group class, and she once in class in front of everyone said that, you know, I think you should get into something to do with humans and human relationships and work with people. and i was really i was just 18 you know like nobody knows what they're doing then <laughs> and i was just like okay what do you mean by that and she's like yeah maybe something to do with psychology and all and i was like oh cool i uh, never even thought of that i was doing commerce and i was like totally like i don't care what i'm going to do i don't have any interest in anything i was just going to do something uh that you know my sister did i was just going to follow suit but i went back home that day and i was just like you know what let me do some reading about this and i think i never turned back after that and it's just been such an enriching journey for me uh, from there i went on to doing my um undergrad in mithi bai college and then i did my masters degree in the uk in university the aim was never to study neuropsychology again that's something i stumbled upon in my life um because i wanted to go abroad i was desperate to go abroad for one year because i was just like you know when i come back my family's going to get me <laughs> married i want to have one year of freedom and enjoy my life and stuff like that um none of that happened i totally did not enjoy my life at all because i chose such a difficult course that i was literally studying and i'm 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 a very big nerd um in general like i was always uh, the person in college who was sitting in front row and knew all the answers i wasn't like that in school but psychology changed me it changed me because it was 
uh, my French teacher was absolutely right. I totally belong in the space of dealing with people. I uh, am great with human beings. I'm not trying to like uh, boast about myself, but I am great with human beings. Um, I uh, am very perceptive uh, as a as an individual. I'm extremely empathetic. Um, I can understand people by just observing them for five minutes. And I'm somebody who's very perceptive about energies. And I think that's something I've always had my whole life. And for her to have picked that up and then for me to have just carried that forward and, you know, gone with it all out uh, is something I appreciate about her till date and about myself. Um, But coming back to my journey, I came back from the UK after studying neuropsychology and found that Uh, this degree is not very useful in India because no one even knew what neuropsychology was in India. So I struggled a lot for three years. Um, I went literally door to door to hundreds of neurologists and psychiatrists in the city in Mumbai and um, would go and educate them about what neuropsychology was and, you know, uh, about what I do and how I can help their patients, patients with stroke, with traumatic brain injury, with dementia. And it was a very difficult time to do. It was very difficult for me to do that because the resistance in a medical field uh, is so high with somebody like a professional like me, uh, like mental health professionals in general who haven't studied medicine, do not get an easy in into the medical sphere. And I was facing that quite head on. And I think it really took a toll on me. Um, I worked for um, I worked for myself. I, I mean, I had my own practice called the Silver Lining at the time, where I worked with stroke, dementia, and traumatic brain injury patients to do some neuro rehabilitation, uh, to improve cognitive skills after damage was taken place. It's a very complicated field to be in because you're dealing with people who have literally lost capacity of just rational thinking also uh, have lost capacity to um, you know hold their inhibitions have and stuff like that so it was a very very difficult space to be in because you also have to realize that that space is somewhere where you may not see more than even five percent of improvement which is very hard to for a 22 year old 23 year old girl who is just fresh out of college and is facing constant failure because that's what it feels like when you Mm. go home it feels Mm. like I failed I failed again I failed again I failed Mm. again and three years of constantly failing really took a toll on me Um, I was severely depressed I was diagnosed with clinical depression I was on medication I did therapy I did homeopathy I did everything I pretty much did everything And um, at the same time, a friend of mine uh, committed suicide, which really shook my core and made me realize that I'm wasting my time um, if I'm not able to even be of assistance to someone in my immediate circle, then why do I have this education? Why do I have this skill? And my entire focus of mental health changed towards awareness, uh, towards suicide awareness, towards awareness uh, in general about mental health issues. And that's where Invisible Illness came about. I ran uh, that organization for six years where we did a lot of awareness campaigns. Uh, we worked with corporates, we worked with schools, we worked with uh, NGOs, we worked with uh, just a variety of uh, institutes and organizations to improve mental health and just get the word out there as much as possible. 
Um, but early this year, I shut my company and I am currently on a partial sabbatical, I have started saying, because every time I tell people I'm on a sabbatical, I get a lot of shit for it because I'm still working kind of, but I'm not working full time and I'm not working to my full capacity. So for me, it still feels like a sabbatical, but I guess the perception of a sabbatical is that you leave everything and you just travel just and you do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for and sure. I, I just cannot do that as an individual. I'm I'm very high strung. Hmm. And, um, but yeah, I am on a partial sabbatical and I'm studying something called neuroleadership, which is um, neuroscience-based techniques on improving performance in human beings, in functional everyday human beings. So, I'm pivoting again <laughs> and I'm not sure exactly where I'm headed right now, but I'm happy about that because I think it's like, it's okay for me to be not sure about it at this point. Um, and I'm excited about my learning journey. I mean, and where it's brought me so far. So yeah, that's a little bit of everything about me. <laughs> You know, you have such an amazing and wholesome journey even towards where you're going right now and I have so many questions for you. But I want to start with like, so even for me, when I went through my own mental health journey, uh, I have gone to life coaches, I have gone to uh, a clinical hypnotherapist, I went to psychologist, I went to a psychiatrist. And the space is so diverse that very often, like when I'm talking to my friends and they're, they're like, how do I begin? Okay, what is the difference between therapy and counseling? What is the difference between counseling and hypnotherapy? Okay, so for my problem, who should I go to? But someone else told me life coach is good. How do you break it down to the, the subtle differences between these things and where a person can just begin with step one if they're feeling lost in life or just maybe depressed in life or they don't even know what they're going through but they know it's just not them being normal yeah and that's a very valid uh, dilemma that I think 90% of people go through um so the the way I like to see it is so there are psychiatrists there's psychologists slash counselors I'm putting them in one bracket and then there's coaches so the purpose of all three is very different in our country. My immediate thing, as I suggest everybody, is if you doubt that you're not doing well, now whatever your definition of not doing well is, is okay. Because you are the best person to judge if you are not okay. I can give you criteria, I can break it down, but everyone has some of those symptoms here and there. You need to gauge for yourself, has it been long enough that I've been suffering? Yes, in clinical terms, I would say anything more than three weeks is too long to suffer but for lots of people they go through they're in a functional depressive episode for three to four to five yes, years and yeah. they don't do anything about it mm. so I think it's about the person being uh, in that space to be like okay I'm not okay and if you are at that space already where you're like I'm not okay even if you don't know what it is my first suggestion to everybody is see a therapist or a psychologist or a counselor any of those, which is all pretty much comes into the same bracket, mm -hmm. is why do I recommend this is because they're not going to give you medication. They're not going to start you off on that. They aren't qualified to do that. They're going to start you off with conversation, with self-introspection. They're going to start you off with self-awareness, which is the core of everything. Um, from that point on, if you feel like this is not something for me, um, and you need something more because your symptoms are really bad. You're not able to sleep. You're not able to get out of the house. You're not able to function. Then my secondary step is 
ask your therapist if you should see a psychiatrist if it's advisable for you to see a psychiatrist and do discuss this with your therapist because they are in a good position to tell you whether medication is a requirement for you right now or not most people make the mistake of going first to the psychiatrist because mm. um they are doctors mm. and everyone wants to see a doctor mm. rather than seeing uh you know someone who they want to talk to so um the what the problem that people face there is that the psychiatrist will talk to them for 10 minutes prescribe them something and then see them after one month so the, the symptomology is getting fixed but the core issue isn't um so my recommendation is don't go directly to a psychiatrist first they are in in our country especially psychiatrists here are not trained for one on one talk therapy they do not get training for counseling and therapeutic practices they get training to prescribe medication and manage symptoms so here no psychiatrist like the this number of psychiatrists that do therapy are a handful so you know you're going to be you're going to feel like you're not heard you're going to feel not understood you're going to feel like you're just being given meds without any reason and there's no reason to feel any of those things when you can have a supportive system uh, you can have a professional who's guiding you now when it comes to life coaching or performance coaching or executive coaching um is that is Uh, a totally different realm so that's not a space that you would want to step into if you are dealing with behavioral uh, issues in the sense of if you have anxiety if you have depression if you're suffering from grief if you are going through these space uh, these um, you know feelings and moods then going to a life coach a performance coach or executive coach to fix your work life to fix is not going to help because you are dealing with clinical symptoms and that coach is not qualified to deal with your clinical symptoms when you are making a big life change say you're getting married you are starting a new job you're moving countries you are um you know moving fields you're pivoting you're switching any of those things like the any big life change you want to um uh, go through in a smooth manner i would say then life coaching performance coaching executive coaching is for you and it is a beautiful journey i've done it myself i'm now even coaching people and it is an absolutely beautiful journey but it's a very different journey from taking therapy it is not the same space to be in therapy is a very difficult introspective procedure where you have to go back in time and deal with very difficult things that you may not want to in life coaching you don't they're not going to take you back in time to deal with your past and dig through the why it's life coaching is very forward facing it's very solution focused so it really depends on where you are and what your requirement is and this is the simplest way that i can sort of bifurcate it thank you that was a really beautiful explanation for people i hope people who listen to this understand very clearly like at what point to go to whom in your life but you know just deep i find it you've worked with a lot of corporates and mm-hmm. um i have this dilemma very often where for instance i'm sure you are very aware of what toxicity in the workspace would look like um yeah. you've also once written a beautiful post about toxicity in the mental health field itself which i was really taken by surprise when i read <laughs> which we'll come to later for sure but um you know people often say like we're living in a world now where you have to have let's say two to three jobs everyone is hustling everyone is burnt out all the time but it's 
on one side, you know, it's easy for people to give advice and say, dude, you know, you don't need to hustle. It's easy. But I've been in that space in my life where I'm like, no, you don't understand. There are phases in life where even if you don't want to hustle, you have to because time is of the essence. What is your observation of what's going wrong in the workspace in terms of toxicity and also in the larger picture with people living in a time where hustling is a necessity, which unfortunately, if you can run away from, it's almost a privilege that you have. And um, I love that you said that last line, because that's exactly the point that I was going to make. Uh, I think hustle culture is glorified. It's romanticized at this point. It's like, um, if you're not hustling, you're not living, is what the narrative has become. And I have mixed feelings about this. Uh, on one end, I understand that there are certain section of people who require this hustle, and it does not come, and it comes from a place of necessity. And there are certain kind of people who are doing this hustle um, because it is now the thing to do. It is so the, I, I do believe that there are those two types of people. I don't think that everybody who's hustling requires to hustle because they do not have financial stability. I don't believe that. I have seen it myself that there are people who are doing this because it's now a cultural norm. Or in order for you to be cool, in order for you to be living your best life or living your life to your fullest is if you are, if you have a full time job and have a side hustle and have a, and have a way of making passive money on the side, if you're not doing all three, um, there is a certain connotation to it, which is, uh, which societally is now becoming very obvious, which is that you're not doing enough. Are you doing you're enough? Not productive. Yeah, you're not productive enough. You're not making use of your life. You're not making use of your 20s. You're not making use of your 30s. Don't you want to retire by the time you're 40? This notion of now suddenly everyone wanting to hustle till they're 40 and then retire and then live is something I'm sort of uh, also conflicted about. So I do think that the people who come from this space that this is not a choice. This is a necessity. I respect those people for the amount of hard work they put in. I respect the uh, dedication that they have. But I don't I don't feel the same way about the other section of people who are glorifying um, burnout and glorifying, uh, you know, working 18 hours a day or uh, just because you go you are working in a corporate that makes you work 18 to 20 hours a day doesn't mean everyone has to do it. Um, I mean, I feel like uh, there is a line that we need to draw. And this is also for the people who for whom it is a necessity is that you have to understand that that much uh, work of any kind is going to lead to depletion. Um, our brain is a limited resource as much as every Instagram post says it's not. It is a limited resource. Uh, it's like charging a battery of your phone. Um, it your battery runs out at some point the more you use your phone the more it runs out the quicker it runs out it's the same thing with your brain it is a limited resource there is only that many decisions you can make in a day that are effective decisions there's only that many problems that you can solve that are going to be solved rationally and logically because after a point your brain starts glitching and that you will not realize that glitch in that moment but uh, eventually what happens is you'll realize that I made that decision in a haste. I was being impulsive. I acted out of fear. I acted out of anxiety. I acted out of panic of it has to be done. Um, and all of these things start coming up much later. And there are, there are a lot of entrepreneurs now that who speak of this. Um, like, for example, Nikhil Kamath in his podcast talks about this a lot where he he's like, 
I I used to do this. I used to do like uh, I had really bad lifestyle. I didn't care about what I was eating, and I was just working, working, working. And now he sort of changed that, and he's seeing the difference in the way he manages his, uh, you know, kingdom, which is what it is. So uh, I know that he's also at a point of privilege to do that. I know that I'll get flack for that on the other end, saying that he's at a point of privilege now to do it. Uh, but having said that. every single entrepreneur in the world will tell you that yes you have to slog it out but nothing nothing is worth your health nothing that's true i want to come to like coming to the point of toxicity in your field um why why you know when i read that post which you wrote about how it's almost like there's a sense of competition ki acha who's done who studied a little more than the other person am i more qualified than you and all how did you feel when you went through that experience when you first observed that look this is a field where we study human behavior i'm sure you all are more sensitive to these things and in your own field you're noticing these kind of things happening and why is it so is it because there's a lot of competition in the field what about mental health for mental health practitioners so i think i i was a part of that toxicity before i noticed it uh i was one of the practitioners who would criticize other practitioners for not having enough qualification for not having the right experience i was one of those people i will not lie um but the more i strayed away from traditional therapy the more i started to get perspective on that space um and i realized this in a conversation with a a, a colleague who i actually connected with through linkedin and now we are really uh like close and we are going to be working together in a space etc but that conversation was uh, you know she 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 actually told me that i don't tell people i'm a psychologist like i don't tell people that i have this degree and i was like what that's so weird because i was like isn't that the first thing you should yeah, say yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and she was like no because there's just so much hate around it from us from people like us only and as soon as she said that i was like you are absolutely right and i have been a part of that hate for so long um i've been subjected to it and i have subjected others to it um but i totally totally uh, you know at that moment it was just like a glass shattering moment and i was just like you're absolutely right and uh, what i've seen is that why this is happening is because there are no guidelines we don't have a rule book given to us of what a psychologist is uh, in this country there are yes the there are some guidelines now but they are so vague and so unclear and they have not been put into practice yet so because um we haven't been given that rule book we are given we we then have the liberty to have an opinion because when you have a rule book you cannot have an opinion like i will never look at a doctor and be like his mbbs is shit and the other one's mbbs is better no uh, the max i can compare is okay yeah he studied from sain hospital versus going to dy patel or whatever but it's not going to make much of a difference he's still a doctor and it, it still does the job of what a doctor does there's no opinion that can come about in that space in the sense of my it can just be an opinion of my experience that i did not have a good experience versus i did but my opinion is not whether he's not qualified to be a doctor whereas in this space because there are no guidelines there is an opinion and 
there is there are 1.5 billion opinions so <laughs> i yeah. think uh, and everyone has a right to have an opinion i'm not denying that but uh, i think these opinions are hurting us rather than helping us um, because no one is looking for the solution everyone is just pointing out the problem constantly um no one is trying to create um support groups for psychologists these things everyone is just talking about the problem because again it's cool to talk about the problem mm-hmm. uh and not like i'm working towards the solution but that's also not my aim to do um in fact i myself have stopped telling people that i'm a psychologist so now i also wow. don't <laughs> <laughs> you've gone down the path your friend showed you wow <laughs> <sighs> I mean I have like two reasons for that one is this and the other one is that as soon as I tell people that I'm a psychologist I feel like I'm hounded um like at parties at weddings at birthdays at any gathering of anything like I feel like as soon as someone finds out that I'm a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist or whatever name they want to give me I'm I, I'm like followed at parties by people trying to tell me things uh, or you know people get drunk and you know then Talk and that conversation just and stuff yeah and it's really frustrating uh, so I'm just like there's just no way to say no nicely so no matter what I say I'm the one who sounds like I'm a bad therapist because I am even though I'm not but that's what uh, the perception is is that oh you if you're so impatient here then how do you do this in your everyday life and uh, aren't you supposed to be able to listen and understand and stuff like that i'm just like yeah at my job i'm not expecting you to do accounting here right at a party yeah, while you're drinking yeah, yeah. that's your day job that's not mm-hmm. your when you come to a party you know it's not your social skill to start doing accounting for yeah, people just because yeah. you're a ca right so i mean it's like it's that bizarre and now i just say that to people but most often i just don't say that i'm a therapist <laughs> but you know i've noticed this about the medical field because i have a friend who's studying to be an orthopedic surgeon and she says the exact same thing she's like asta you know what on my day off like sometimes even when i've come home exhausted and pooped after a long day in the ot someone will like say hey listen can you please look at this x-ray of my mom's and you know tell me and like people don't understand i don't know if it's something that happens more in india but people don't understand that concept of time and space and you know respecting someone's boundaries is and especially so for someone in any medical field i feel they feel kiari bhai you should be accessible like all the time you don't have the yeah. right to be on leave or like you know not in the right space to work or things like that and that's really unfortunate yeah yeah and i think that's with any service field right like any service field that requires human interaction i feel like even lawyers say the same thing mm. so you know i i had a like i had an observation one is so you you told me earlier that now you're studying to be on a neuro leadership coach is that what what you call it right so for some reason the image i don't know if you watched the show called billions there's this image that comes up there's this performance coach wendy rhodes and like she she just makes everyone like badass and savage and everyone comes to her with a problem and in 5 minutes she like mentally coaches them out of it and they go back like super efficient to the do- job okay so whenever i used to see this i used to keep thinking you know but at some point maybe the show portrays her in a way where you almost dehumanize someone you know to make them bulletproof and resilient to the bs that's going on in the workspace how is being emotionally resilient different from being unemotional different from being insensitive or detached and how would you coach someone 
to understand the difference between be- becoming one to the other so um to me they are two like the, the latter two sort of lion one um uh, bracket uh, to me emotional resilience is very far away from being emotionally detached or emotionally uninvolved because in order for you in order for anyone um like the five criteria for emotional intelligence is of what an emotionally intelligent human being is is empathy it begins with empathy um it uh, it's motivation it's how do you manage relationships so by managing relationships i they mean the not just managing yourself in the relationship but how do you also be empathetic enough towards the other individual to be able to uh understand them enough to manage that equation uh that you have with them uh self awareness is a huge aspect of uh emotional intelligence uh and resilience is the last one so if if you are talking about how um how is somebody emotionally resilient resilience comes with a lot of self awareness if i don't begin by knowing myself wholly um i'm never going to know my own biases my own insecurities my own um you know barriers that i create in my life like um like i have a fear of for example if somebody has a fear of being abandoned uh they are going to have that barrier in all of their relationships whether they are aware of it or not uh say somebody has um you know a extremely low self esteem that's going to create that's going to come up in every space in your life it's not going to be restricted to one space so it it, it begins with self awareness that self awareness moves into empathy empathy to first be compassionate and empathetic towards yourself to understand that i have these emotions i have this insecurity i come from this trauma space and i understand where it's coming from doesn't mean that i will not do it it just means that i will allow myself the appropriate amount of time to get there and then to transfer that empathy onto somebody else also to understand that everyone comes with their own past everyone comes with their own set of experiences and their own set of personality traits and um how can we best use those because i think what emotionally distant people do is dismiss that people have emotions at all um because they don't want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable for them because they are dismissing their own emotions all the time so that's the norm so as soon as we don't dismiss our own emotions we don't dismiss anyone else's either because that's how human nature works unless you're a narcissist but uh that's how human nature works if i can uh have the sprout of empathy for myself is only then when i can pass that empathy on to other people and i think that that is, that comes from the notion that uh, emotions uh hamper rational or logical thought whereas i think people have haven't studied neurobiology well enough to know that if you do not have emotions you cannot make decisions mm. you cannot have values your our decisions are made based on our value system our values are based on our emotional experiences our emotions are therefore the core of how we reach rational decision making mm-hmm. so called rational decision making that people call which is devoid of emotions is how people think of it which Perceive is not the truth at all um you cannot make you cannot do anything in life without an emotional aspect in it and the more you deny that emotional aspect the further away you're going to get from what's actually going to bring you happiness you may think you're going towards your goal 
um because a goal it may have been set without emotionality because you're just like no this is what i want to do i want to be a billionaire okay i'm going to do this no matter what it takes what makes you think that being a billionaire is going to get you what you want what do you want you want happiness you want budding relationships you want beautiful relationships in your life biologically speaking that is what enriches human beings so um if we are going to design our goals without looking at our values which means we are not looking at our emotions we are going to lead ourselves to a place where yes you are devoid of emotions but you are also devoid of the emotion of happiness and contentment and satisfaction and joy then which is also emotions so as much as people want to run away from emotions they are they are also chasing just those i want to be happy in life i want peace in life i just want to be content in life those are also emotions so you can't you can't um, have the cake and eat it too you can't just leave the bad part bad parts out and be like i just want this mm. no it comes in a package deal Hmm. and all of it when it comes together is the beauty of it you know it's like getting a mixed bag of um chocolates like the point is that it's a mixed bag of chocolates you get all of it together and that's the fun and that's the beauty of it that's actually a really big eye opener i never thought of like now, now that you broke it down to like every decision coming to a value system and the value system being based on certain like emotional qualities or an emotion i think so many of us are unaware i i mean even for me it was like okay i have not thought about this you know what's driving me but i have had like some realization at many points in my life where like the whole reason i named this show slow down with asta is because i understood the importance of slowing down and assessing okay is this the only way i can feel good about myself in life content or successful about myself and you know i i found some common common ground between us in the sense i used to do a lot of art and i used to find so much happiness when i would just slow down and tune out the world and just listen to music and um, you know journal or like do a lot of art work or take a day off and i've seen even in your feed you do a lot of these activities where you just slow down like your feed just looks like a slow down life where you're like yeah. you know guys you don't always need to like run after the big thing sometimes your most peaceful moments can come from just calming down but do you use yeah. a lot of these tools like art or music as a form of therapy in your own interactions or your own coaching sessions with people so i don't use it professionally i use it for myself because um i i very recently got asked this question uh because i'm learning the piano and i just oh, wow. started learning it huh. and i'm no no it's not wow because i'm not good at all i don't <laughs> it's know it's not about being get. good it's the fact that you even took up the challenge it's not <laughs> it, the wow is there <laughs> okay thank you for that then uh but yeah um i i've always wanted to learn the piano i've always wanted to learn an instrument and mm. i've always made a hundred and billion excuses um mm. to do it but this mm. time i was like now nah, one sabbatical i have no excuse whatsoever mm. so i'm going to do it mm. but i recently got asked that are you learning this to incorporate it in your therapy sessions mm. or in your coaching sessions mm. and i said hell no mm. because um i i also sing but i use my music um or even like i do a lot of other art activities like you said i do a lot of coloring i'll do mm. like thousand piece puzzles and all i'm, I'm oh, wow. really into that stuff mm. um but i don't use any of this in therapies because that is my therapy that is mm. my therapeutic slow down practice for me and my mm. mental health mm. and i don't want to merge the two uh in any way a because i'm not a professional musician so for me to incorporate that would slightly feel unethical to me 
I love the fact that you're very vocal about, you know, focusing on yourself, especially even like even now you're on a mini sabbatical or partial sabbatical, as you would call it. And that's the first I've actually heard from someone, you know, whether you're using it to study or to reassess where you want to go in your life. I've never heard it coming from someone who's already in the thick of like, you know, being right in the middle of the things and you're, you are a mental health practitioner. You've gone from being, you know, working with patients who had dementia to kind of getting specifically into corporates and schools. What are your three non-negotiables, especially for people who are dealing with uh, a toxic workspace? Because we tend to say these things so often where, dude, every workspace is bad, everyone has a horrible boss. Um, what how, what would you advise anyone who's in a toxic workspace and doesn't even understand if this is normal or if I should be worried about the fact that this is my work environment? Uh, I think three things to look out for for people who are already working in a space or joining a new space would be, uh, do you have, is your direct manager someone you can have a conversation with? Uh, and when I say conversation, I mean um, a conversation where you can give them feedback also and receive feedback in a non-judgmental uh, environment. So giving and receiving feedback is a huge, it plays a huge role when it comes to mental satisfaction with the job. Because even if your job sucks, but your manager is listening to you and is taking that feedback and is 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 acknowledging that it's a requirement. Uh, and and vi- and vice versa, they are giving you feedback, and you're acknowledging it. I think that that equation of you and how your manager are can keep you in a job that you hate also, because that that um, interaction, that human relationship that you build, then is more enriching than the job, the work you're doing. And I've seen this with myself. I've seen this in companies I've worked. I've seen. I've read a lot about this. Um, there's an entire book that. Uh, it, it, it's called Radical Candor. The whole book is about giving and receiving feedback and how uh, much of a role it plays. So that's one thing I would say. If you're taking on a new job or you're already in a job, make sure your relationship with your manager is open and one that you can give and receive feedback. Um, I think the second thing is um, somewhere where you feel safe. Mm. Um, now, when I say safe, I mean somewhere where if tomorrow you had a panic attack in office, it would be safe for you to tell a colleague that I had a panic attack or mm. it would be safe for you to go to HR to do that. Or if you had, if you were burning out, it's a safe environment for you to express that, that I'm burning out. Mm. So uh, you feel safe to express your uh, express what you're going through. You feel safe to express your opinions. So, so a lot of people work in environments where even sharing an idea is looked down upon. Like they're like dissed for that also. So that's not a safe environment then. If I can't share an idea, I can't share an opinion. It's not a safe environment. So that's the second thing. And I think third thing, which I don't, I I know that it's again a point of privilege and all, etc. But I think convenience, because I don't think people realize that they put their bodies through so much torture to just reach a job and come back let alone what is happening at that job. Um, and I know that we are not all at the point of privilege where we can get a job in the locality we want or, you know, it's convenient mm. to reach or whatever. But as much as you can, you must do that because that two hours extra in the day that you're traveling lesser is going to literally save your life. It's going to literally save you from having high cholesterol, high blood pressure, developing stress and burnout and all of the other conditions that come with it. 
um so i know that's sort of unconventional or whatever for me to say but if it's if it's something that can be done don't purposely take a job even if it pays slightly lesser take something that's more convenient because time is what you're getting in exchange then mm-hmm. and that time is invaluable there is no amount of money that can give that get put a worth on that time mm-hmm. so um and on that on and on your health that you can take care of in that yeah. time so and i keep stressing on health is because uh it's so undervalued yaar like i feel like uh, especially like millennials gen z like they like no one is thinking only about the consequences of things on their health like i just um like i just don't see the like you know yes there is this whole health trip that everyone's on going vegan doing this doing that again fads like not seeing that veganism has its own drawbacks and is not for everybody or being on a um ketogenic diet has its own I, these are all fads like no yeah. one is actually looking at their health holistically. holistically yeah and and that's something that i'm seeing as a growing trend that um yeah it's cool to take supplements now so everyone's taking supplements but you don't even know why you're taking them you don't yeah. know why what you're what they're doing to you so uh, i'm not saying don't take them but i'm saying be informed know about your health because i think no, it's it's not there is not enough times it can be said that there is nothing more important in life than your health so if you can choose a job that's more convenient to you it will actually impact your health in a really positive way so that would be my third suggestion for someone okay and your three uh, recommendations to people um to slow down their life or how they can take charge of their mental and emotional well-being it could be even personal like if you like if you like experimenting with art you could probably suggest that people do that i've noticed people run away from it i don't know why people think it's a very feminine thing to do first of all like this gender construct nonsense just needs to stop yeah um <laughs> the whole other topic but um i think a non negotiable for me and one that should be for every single person is movement um and i think it's my biggest non negotiable like i do not miss my workout for anything and when i say movement i don't mean exercise i don't mean go to the gym i mean movement i mean walk around um take your calls walking uh if you can be on be on your earpods take them uh, walk around and take your calls uh, that's the basic like that everyone in a corporate job can do literally basic um and movement is it's it's life saving and this is for mental and physical benefits both um that's one very big non negotiable uh, i think the second non negotiable uh for me is asking myself and i do recommend this a lot also is uh what do i need when i'm not feeling good no matter what not good is but i'll ask myself what do i need right now and most often we do not ask ourselves this ever because we are always about like what should we do what must we do not what we need what do i need do i need a hug do i need sleep do i need a meal do i need to have water do and sometimes it's that simple only the answer if i had a project going on i would work the whole day and i would not even realize i haven't eaten a morsel the whole day and i may not have even had a glass of water for the last 12 hours like i was working at that like if i had something going on i was working at that level and i at the end of the day i'd come back and i'd be cranky and i'm annoyed and i'm that's because i've not given my body anything it needs my mind is mind is getting stimulated and theek it's working and all that but 
my body is not getting anything it needs right now uh i think the third thing that i would say is to have a daily practice of something now i don't want to give a very specific thing of what the practice should be but um whether that practice is uh you know to write in your journal every day or to do a gratitude practice or uh or to just do a prayer you know just to go to whatever the temple in your house just do a prayer uh or it is chanting or it's meditation or it's mindfulness or anything but i'm saying just to have something that you do every single day even when you don't want to do it even when you don't feel like doing it i'm not saying it has to be extensive it has to be an hour long or anything like that even if it takes 5 minutes it can really go a long way in terms of cognitive benefits um it it's it definitely uh, reduces stress levels builds resilience because that practice starts to ground you you start to then place that practice in difficult situations so mm. you start to use that as a coping mechanism as a soothing activity mm. uh so there are multiple benefits that's why i would recommend that as my third so any daily activity that you literally would treat like a ritual like this is my this i have to do every day yeah. jazeeb this has been an amazing conversation but before i let you go i'm going to play a small little game with you what 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 do you mean I want you to react, reframe or correct the statements that I'm going to say. So I'm going to start with react, okay? So I'm going to say a statement to you. Um think of it as if someone told you this statement, how would you react to the statement, okay? All workplaces are toxic. It's absolutely normal. <laughs> I guess I would laugh, but um yeah, I would react by saying that uh if that's how you think of it then it will remain normal. Then that will remain normal. Okay. My second one for you is if you want to get ahead in life, you have to put in the extra hours. True for some, not true for all. Mm-hmm. Is what I would say. Okay. Reframe the following, okay? So yeah, just reframe the sentence I'm going to tell you. Just be grateful that you have a job. You shouldn't be complaining. Um, uh, be grateful that you have a job, but you're also allowed to complain. Okay, correct the following statement. Um, failure is not an option for you. Failure is literally the best thing that can happen mm-hmm. to you. It's literally the best thing that can happen to anyone in their life is if they fail. Mm. If you haven't failed, you're not trying. You're not doing anything. You're not yeah. living. Yeah. So I'd rather say I'm a failure than say I did mm. nothing. Thank you so much for your valuable insights, Jasdeep. It's felt it's felt like your division. Like now, I'm already thinking about yeah various aspects of my life, and I'm like, let me just see. But this has been an amazing conversation. I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you through and through. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode. If you liked our first episode, please don't forget to follow us on the audio platform of your choice and on Instagram at Slowdown with Astha. If you want to show us a little extra love, you can also leave a review for us via Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I hope to see you next Thursday for yet another episode and an amazingly interesting conversation. Thank you.